0: Hello from the Chicago Critics Film Festival. In this episode, I speak with Stephen Forbes, the director of the phenomenal documentary Hold Your Fire, a story about the longest standoff in New York history and how the teachings of one psychoanalyst saved dozens of lives that day and thousands later on. Next, I speak with C.C. Cleary, producer of Two Leslie. A film based on a true story about an alcoholic from Texas who won the lottery and spent all the money on booze. Is there a chance for redemption for her? Watch the movie and find out. Lastly, I want to thank the bar I casually chat with locals about films at, Galway Bay, located at 500 West Diversity Parkway in Chicago, Illinois. Although a dive bar, there's entertainment to be had from pool to retro games to the ramblings of the local drunks. If you're local or visiting from out of town, this is the perfect dive bar to visit. We begin the episode with my interview with Stefan Forbes, the director of Hold Your Fire. Quick FYI for this interview, I had to re-record my question since I wasn't mic'd up and Stefan was holding the uh, Zoom himself. As a documentary filmmaker, I'm kind of like, Yeah, you know what you're doing. So I just <laughs> I just let him do his thing. All right, enjoy the interview.
1: No. I believed in talking. Harvey Schlossberg. He didn't look like a cop, he didn't act like a cop. But he had his PhD in psychology. I believed Police could influence people without bullying. The most difficult thing in the world to change is a culture. Now we've got to talk to these individuals. It was revolutionary. This is the birthplace of hostage negotiation. How did you
0: gain the trust between Shuheb Ibrahim and the NYPD officers involved in this entire incident?
1: You know, I think in all my films, people can see, I let people talk. I let, I let you say your truth, you know? So when I come to people, like, I may not agree with you, but I want to hear, like, where you're coming from. And I believe the interview is a sacred space. I want you to unburden yourself, man. Tell me what happened and in an event like this, which is dealing with so much trauma. You know, I have... Have a responsibility to to be a deep listener to really let you talk and to let you tell your story and what I find there's a lot of people never really got that chance you know so i'm I'm just here to listen crazily it's a lot like Harvey, you know, like a hostage negotiator, somebody who specializes in conflict resolution, they're just here to listen, and there's something profoundly healing about that.
0: Why do you think the police force doesn't use Harvey's negotiation tactics that utilizes empathy more often?
1: It's an interesting question why Europe really gravitated to Harvey and why he saved they say 30 to 40,000 lives over there. But in America, you know, we're captivated by toxic masculinity the Weltanschauung, a worldview. We, in the essence of American society, is the sense of domination. We came here to dominate a new continent, to push out the people that were here. You know, we saw them as, as dangerous and freaky and other. You know, there's so much amazing scholarship being done now about the Iroquois nations and their views of Western society. They they thought we were crazy, man. They're like, you know, there's a great book called The Dawn of Everything by David Graeber, which, you know, talks about the Iroquois critique of Western civilization having an explosive effect. It may have even sparked the Enlightenment. Because they were like, why are you guys so violent and so harsh and so crazy? So about domination. And you don't take care of each other. And you don't, you know, the people starve to death. You don't care. You don't see them as linked to you. And here in the Iroquois nations, you know, we have food. No one goes hungry. You know, what are your values? So, you know, it really all goes back to that, that. You know, we've been the victims of a certain worldview where, you know, we believe that domination and violence and power and, you know, establishing your hegemony over another people is the way that we prove our masculinity. And like, we're cool. Everything's good. You know, our societal values are those of masculinity winning every interaction dominating never admitting our vulnerability and hey you know i love america i'm a patriot but there's a lot of men in this society that are hurting from our point of view and a lot of cops that are in pain that never got any any help their only ptsd intervention was from a doctor named jack daniels
0: Why do you think America gravitates so much towards a masculine image? Because when I was growing up, I watched Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone movies, and I loved that kind of big, macho, bodybuilding sort of image. And as I got older, I started to see that that wasn't as cool as it appeared to be, although it certainly is still cool in some ways. Why do you think, you know, guys like me growing up in America look up so much to this sort of dominant masculine figure?
1: Yeah, well, we inherited a lot of that from the Scots-Irish mentality and from the United Kingdom in general. I'm Scottish. You know, we had our whole bank account in the front yard. We had a bunch of sheep. And... If somebody came and stole our sheep, we were broke overnight. So then the environmental and the economic system that we inherited necessitated a form of performative masculinity where if you stole our friggin' sheep, we had to, we had to not just kill you, we had to kill your whole family. We had to go to your glen, go to your village, and murder everyone. Because we had to show we're not messing around. So these ancient tribal inheritances of white people in Scotland became the operative form of interaction in America. It's super simple. I mean, culture is, is, you know, insistent. People cling to that. So... We we continued these dominant forms of social and economic interaction in America to very damaging effect, you know. But we inherited this stuff. We further inherited it through slavery. You know, it just sucks that we valued other human beings as capital. Because once you do that, you know, in order to go against that system, you lose money and you lose your societal power. And it locked generations of American males into a really negative form of capitalism, violence, dominance, and patriarchy. And we're terrified that that system's gonna change. So, yeah.
0: Have you heard back from anyone that you interviewed in the film? I'm particularly interested to know if any of the NYPD officers have given you a phone call or anything because some of the things they say on camera aren't exactly flattering. Yeah,
1: I mean, I'm in touch with everyone, and it's super stressful making a movie like this. People are worried. They're like, no, how will my words be taken? How will I be seen? You know? And it's. It's amazing that so many of them wanted to tell me their stories because nobody's listening. You know, you get the media, you know, you get the newspaper, you get the TV news. But a lot of these people never really had the chance to tell their story. They never felt heard. Certainly, Shueb and his friends really never felt heard. And this was a chance for them to... Say hey we've been demonized 47 years as cop killers If you really look At the evidence It seems like They probably didn't kill these cops And cops have said that to me You know we always find the bullet The fact the bullet was never found it means There's a good chance Our forensics team found that And threw that away that Steve Gilroy was actually killed by a fellow cop, which is tragic. And Shuai says, hey, I take responsibility. He never would have died if I hadn't gone in there. But, you know, they went in there because they didn't feel safe, because they were driven by fear. The same fear that leads cops to commit all these killings time and time again. You see these videos of them screaming, you know, drop the knife, drop the knife, issuing ultimatums that Harvey says n- never solved the situation using an outmoded form of policing because they simply haven't had the training and they're totally threatened that the person isn't complying because they've been taught that you need to dominate the situation in order to retain your self-respect and your sense of power, which again, Harvey's teachings, which can resolve all these situations, which have saved thousands of lives throughout Europe, aren't used widely here in America. So, you know, we're just trying to get the word out. There's another way to do this stuff. And that, you know, if you watch this film, if you go to holdyourfiredoc.com or holdyourfirefilm.com, you join our mailing list. Share the trailer with your friends. Talk about this in your communities. Demand from your elected officials to watch this film and realize there's a proven solution that's been out there for 50 years, but we're not listening in America because of all these deep cultural reasons where we feel that our masculinity is challenged if we don't dominate an interaction. You know? So I told you about this book, The Dawn of Everything by David Graeber. In America, before we got here, you were judged on how cool you were if you actually changed your point of view. The Iroquois were these crazy intellectuals who loved discussing topics in granular detail, and it was considered a sign of coolness and intellectual achievement if you changed your point of view because you listened to somebody and they convinced you. That showed that you were flexible, and open, and willing to listen—all uh, the things that Harvey teaches. Ironically, but you know, there's another way to interact, and, and we're trying to spread the word about that. Just give me a reason to kill you. Oh my
2: God! One all One
1: Definer, everything is under control. I want him out alive. <laughs>
0: Hey, guys, how's it going? I'm with C.C. Uh, Cleary, uh, producer of Two Leslie, a movie that's extremely uplifting. Well, actually, in a way, it is actually, in the end a little uplifting, it's uplifting. but but it's <laughs> it's, a, it's a ride throughout it. You know, <laughs> how many actors did you go through before you uh, landed on An- Andrea uh, Risebro or Reesebro? First time, okay. Andrea Riseborough, because like she really just goes for it in this film, and it, it's just incredible.
2: Oh, she's amazing. I mean, she's it's it's. I mean, the performance I saw. I was on set every day. Is um, an Oscar nomination performance. I mean, I she's just amazing in this film. Uh, that's a good question. Michael Morris, our director, I believe that was always his choice for Leslie. I don't think there was any other choices. It was Andrea. So he knows her work, and that's what we wanted for this role.
0: How did you come up with this character, especially, like, examining her? Because it's not someone where you typically want to stick around with for 90 minutes, but it's, like, worth the wait in the end.
2: Oh, it's worth the wait. The the second and third act, it's, uh, you know, the first act, you have to set up how dire her situation is. And so I think that's what you're referring to. And then all the other actors that come in, Mark Maron, who plays Sweeney, the hotel manager, he's amazing. He's so likable. Oh. And it's like true humanity, the fact that Mark Marin believed in her. Yeah. And it's, it, it was all based on a true story. The, the son uh, of Leslie is the writer. He's a brilliant writer. And so it, it's sort of a love story to his mom. So there's a lot of emotion and heart behind it.
0: How, how did you get Mark Maron involved? Just as someone who's like in the comedy community, I'm just like, Oh wow. Like he, he's such like kind of like an out of the box choice, but at the same time, like he works really well. Like, especially kind of that, that raw, like hey, 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 kind
2: of laugh. he has. Oh, He's so good in this movie. Yeah. He is so good. He, uh, I, I believe, uh, our director Michael Morris, who's one of the best directors I've ever worked with. I mean, all his work is amazing. You know, between Bloodline and uh, House of Cards and Billions and Better Call Saul, uh, he, it was that was his vision. He said, "I know Mark Maron can do this." So it, it was our director thinking outside the box that really, really pulled for Mark Marin.
1: This
0: movie's sort of uh, it. It's heavily about addiction it's about like a character who is tough to and I I, I know I said this before but like she, she's tough to stick around what what made you sort of like create a, you guys as a team you know uh mold this character of Leslie together where this could be a narrative about someone that you typically wouldn't um you know uh, follow the whole journey through but in the end you do and uh sort of she's very representative of a lot of people how did how did you make this character in a very convoluted way of asking
2: well she's likable you can tell she's very likable she's made some bad choices and hit some hard times but the the way andrea plays the character she's likable from the start even though with all her things you know she's doing uh, and then with Mark uh, Marin and you add you know Andrea Rojo in that played Bubbles in The Wire, it it just gets lighter, and it's just it's about these relationships that people care about each other, and they somehow they kind of saved her life, but then she also kind of saved their life, and it's it's I think it's a beautiful story, and that's what made me stick with it. And she is likable, and Andrea is probably the only actor I know. That could play that character and be likable, because she's just such a brilliant actress. So, I think I don't think any actor or actress, whatever we're calling them these days, actor, actress, uh, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> tomato, <a model>, right? <laughs> tomato. Um, I don't think any actor could have pulled that off that isn't phenomenal like Andrea's. Her performance is just. I mean, I, I I was mesmerized the entire time I was on set because I was watching. I was on set every day. I went through every cut in the editing room. Or I, I saw every cut of the movie, and there wasn't a bad cut. Every cut was brilliant. But you know. She give
0: something different, like, every time? Like, yeah, because, like, it seemed like it. Like, every, like, different, like, scene like she could easily
2: just play like okay I'm drunk and bleh, F you F that but like she's not she, no she's so likable even in her bad behavior yeah. she's still likable exactly, yeah. and not many actors can pull that off and the script Ryan Bianco wrote the script is so well written yeah. and Michael is is such a brilliant director it, it just took that like group of people to make it happen yeah. and uh Allison Janney, she plays Mm -hmm. such a good villain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Such a good villain. (laughs) Oh, and and Owen Teague, he's amazing as the son. Yeah. And Michael had directed Owen Teague before Mm -hmm. in Bloodline. So Michael had worked with a lot of these actors before. So, uh, yeah, there's kind of a synergy about it.
0: What do you want, like, people to sort of, like, get from this film? Because, like, for addiction, I guess it means, like, even if you've hit rock bottom, you've lost everything, you can still have something, even if it's very little. But, like, that's what I got from it. Like, what do you want folks to get from it?
2: Like, a story about humanity, that there are people out there, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's addiction, whatever it may be. There are people that are down and out, and shit happens in life. Am I I allowed to say that? Shit happens. Uh.
0: No, no, I'm just. Kidding. Yes, you can, you can. Uh, well, our my show literally takes place in a bar, so we say whatever the fuck we want.
2: <laughs> 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 uh, okay, I'll say it. stuff happens in life, mm-hmm. and the fact that there is a stranger that helps change somebody else's life, no matter what the issue is, and why you're down and out, I think is is huge, and I think, and there is hope, and you know, uh, there are people out there that can help change your life. That you're even if who knows what it is why you're down and out. Whether it's your fault, it's not your own fault, whatever it may be. Like, there is hope. And I think, and it's based on a true story. Like, this really happened. So, I think it's just good for people, especially after COVID, or hopefully it's after COVID, whatever we're calling this time now. Um, You know, everyone's gone through, like, a hard time, I think, in general with COVID. And it's sort of like, okay, there is hope. There's light at the end of the tunnel. And there are people out there that actually have um, humanity
0: thank you so much for doing this bye thank you well that's the episode if you want to see more coverage from the chicago critics film festival please go to ypareviews.com and you can also find some coverage potentially at 25 years later or 25 yl Links to the websites will be in the description. If you want to look me up anywhere else, just go on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. I finally got on TikTok and some of the views are getting some pretty good hits. Uh but go to YPA reviews for all of it. The YPA stands for you'll probably agree. Thanks.